This is a piece by a guy named Larry Taunton. T-A-U-N-T-O-N. Larry who? Never heard of her. What sort of a man is he? Pick from Bama. A man like any other, but more so. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle. Welcome in to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. We are glad you have joined us today. Larry, how are you? You know, I'm still um, trying to get well, Amy Beth, but... I'm uh, I'm getting better day by day. How are you? You know what? I'm I'm fine. A little puzzled by the sign over your shoulder <laughs> on on the set here. Yes. Uh, you got something you need to <laughs> tell us about? <laughs> yeah, we, we had a little fun. I found this sign this last week. Um, going through some stuff. There's a story behind this. I never ran for sheriff. No member of my family uh, has uh, has run for that office. But uh, um, an associate of mine was in Florida, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago. And he said he saw that sign in the yard of someone. And I, he said, I stopped the car, I got out, I pulled it out of their yard, and I threw it in the trunk and brought it home because you needed to have it. So what's uh, so obvious that it isn't me is it says, of course, that he's a Democrat. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I had to have that sign. I thought it'd be kind of fun to put that up in here. It's a great sign. It's a great set. Um, I, I like the way that it looks, especially the coffee bags because it's coming you, along. I mean, you know, little you, by little, it, it looks nice. It, it really does. Yep, it's uh, it's coming along. Our look, we'll uh, we'll eventually get there. So you had a lot going on this week. Yes, yes. You know, I have a cough button and I need to use it. <coughs> Excuse me. I am, as I say, still getting over. Gosh, I've had this for feels like I'm almost, uh, you know, I'm getting on towards a month. But yes, we hosted here at Layla, you know, our house, uh, our home here in Alabama. We hosted all these influencers who came from all over. They wanted to do some filming here. They wanted to do some filming with me. Um, we had Chad Prather of um, Blaze TV, uh, who is, uh, of course, from Texas. He he came here. Um, Jeff Wilson, who's a very interesting guy. He's a surgeon who was deployed with SEAL Team 6. Um, he's a novelist, um, a pilot, uh, another guy, an influencer uh, who, was, uh, who was here. And then doing the interviews with the three of us um, was Monica Matthews out of Atlanta. And man, she brought over this huge film crew. They transformed our house um, for a few days. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And I'll be I'll be interested to see um, what that produces. But she was interested in doing a show on, you know, on manhood. You know, what does that look like um, in the modern era? And uh, she was, as I understand it, she's interviewing, you know, let's say some, uh, you know, some Gen Z or some millennials, that sort of thing. And then our generation, mm -hmm. Gen X, um, on the same topic. So, yeah, I managed to get through that. I survived that. I, uh, I had a steroid shot that powered me through, <laughs> and then as soon as I left, I crashed. So here we are. So did the steroid shot make you sleep, <laughs> or did the steroid shot keep you awake? Because I find that there's one one or the other I reacting. felt like I had been given speed. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had, had, had slipped amphetamines into my coffee. Wow. I was wired. I was wide awake for three days, two nights. I mean, wide awake. Really? I wanted to go to sleep. I felt 
physically awful. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to sleep, but I'm just laying in bed staring at the acoustic <laughs> ceiling, <laughs> you know, and um, did not sleep. And I texted a friend of mine, um, a physician, um, Dr. Steve Skinner. Uh, if you're out there, if you're listening, great name for dermatologist. It isn't is. It? It's like it's the perfect name. It's a great Your name for dermatologist. Your profession was chosen for you when you were five. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I was like, Steve, should I, Steve, should I still keep taking this? this <laughs> no. This um, <laughs> this steroid. And he said, No, 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 don't take that. Yeah, you're having you're an done. adverse reaction. I would say. Yeah. Uh, I would say so. Yeah, I can't take steroids, but I Chris has had the pneumonia before, and it's wretched. Yeah. So um, your your voice sounds better, but I'm glad that you're beginning getting over to pneumonia, feel better. Getting over pneumonia. I still have a little little bit of it. You can hear it in my voice, but yeah, but I'm ready for this show. I'm looking forward to it. So, all right. Um, here's the deal. This has been a momentous occasion this last week in our country. Yeah, isn't it? With the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Yeah. What what did you do? Obviously, we heard about the leak. We knew about it. We were prepared that something was coming. Yeah. Though I suspect some of us wondered, would they actually do this? Yes, particularly with all the protests uh, yeah. and the pressure being applied to them. I mean, can you imagine that just the idea of it would send people to protest on your lawn and mm-hmm. in some cases bring a machine gun or whatever he brought to the front lawn? But they did it. They reversed Roe v. Wade. Attempted assassination of I mean, Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, yeah. you know... What do you think about all that? Well, first of all, we were talking about our set, and uh, you and I were discussing earlier, you know, what's going to go back here. And uh, there's, you know, some talk of having one of these smart boards back here, or, you know, do we want, you know, covers of my previous books, or, you know, what are we going to put there? I I think there should be a mural of Clarence Thomas. You know what? We should do that. I think Clarence Thomas, Clarence Thomas, I mean this in all seriousness— Clarence Thomas deserves to go down as one of the most important conservative intellectuals in American history. Amen. That man is a hero. And uh, listen, the the vote to overturn Roe v. Wade was I think it was it was uh 413 I think there was a you know um, you know, one opinion that was uh, uh, Roberts wrote it, a, a separate opinion, but it was kind of a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't just Clarence Thomas, but Clarence Thomas is a force. He's a man of courage. The man has been threatened. The man has had racial slurs um, hurled at him from the left, by the way. Yes who are now all very casual in using the N-word and uh, I'm calling him Uncle Clarence and all these kinds of things, uh, which they 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 rightly condemn until they want to use them. Right. They didn't get the outcome they wanted, so now we're going to, to um, employ all kinds of racist language uh, against Clarence Thomas. But, you know, my son, when he was at Yale Law, Michael... You know, got to meet him and hang out with him. I wish I'd have been a fly on the wall. Can you imagine? Uh, I would have loved to have met him. Hopefully, one day uh, that'll that'll happen. But what a hero! So my reaction to Roe v. Wade is uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade is praise God. That's right. Praise God. Um, I'm I. You know, I have not lived, but what would it be? I guess six years of my life. 
I, you know, I was born in 67. I think Roe v. Wade was 73. So the first year, six years of my life, abortion wasn't federally mandated. The rest of my life, it's always been been federally mandated. I never thought I would see a post-Roe v. Wade world. So to be there is wonderful. It is a, a steroid shot. And they don't give it, by the way, in the arm. I started to say a shot in the arm, but they don't. <laughs> they do. You know, the nurse said, drop your pants. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so this was a steroid shot in the gluteus maximus to conservatives who have been needing um, some real encouragement. And I feel like this is the Lord saying, I am here and I am not silent. You know, and I wonder if there is something to this 50 years of Jubilee that we've read about in the Old Testament. Mm. And we know that there's significance to that. Um, as an adopted person, as a, a girl who was carried by a teenage mother, I am mm -hmm. exceedingly grateful um, for Roe v. Wade being overturned. And you're right. I think for Christians who have been in the fight for all of these years, some of whom started back when Jesse Jackson was still pro-life um, and had given up. Well, that's a while, isn't it? I mean, that's a long, long while, and you, yeah. you know, but but they they did need that. Like you said beautifully, God is here. He is on the throne. He's not surprised by any of it. But before we think we have any say in anything, um, just to bow before him mm -hmm. in gratitude for what he has done. Because this, to me, is the parting of the Red Sea and the mm -hmm. holding of the sun in I the sky. And the Great absolutely impossible has been made possible because of God. You know, and whoever you are, everyone should be celebrating this because be you man or woman, white, black, other, liberal or conservative, heterosexual or other, um, um, whatever political opinions, sex, um, you know, worldview, Democrats have wanted, no, no, let me rephrase that. Democrats have demanded the right to kill you before you were born. Let that sink in for just a second. Those who are listening or are watching us, whoever you are, before you were born, Democrats wanted the right to kill you. And they still want that right. They think they deserve the right to end life. And um, I think it's why we're seeing the kind of reactions we're seeing to this on the other side. Our reaction is one of sheer joy, of excitement, of wow. Mm -hmm. And it's not because abortion has ended in this country. It hasn't. This is The New York Times dishonestly reported that the Supreme Court decision you know, outlawed abortion. <laughs> no, it didn't. Right. It just kicked it back to the Come States. Come on, guys. Yeah, it just kicked it back to the states. Um, abortion is still a problem. This is the beginning of the fight. It's not the end of the fight. Um, it's turned it back to the states to make their own decisions um, regarding this. But, man, look at the reaction of people on the left. It is a foaming at the mouth, demonic reaction. And I, and I don't use that. I, I don't throw those words around lightly. I, I really do believe this has been... Satan's stronghold um, and the power to kill the power, you know, like a Roman emperor of old to go thumbs up or thumbs down. It's a, mm. it's an intoxicating power. 
And the Supreme Court has said, you know what? Um, we're going to let states decide whether or not you have that power. Hmm. They didn't say we're removing that power. We're saying we're going to let states determine whether you have that power. And we're starting to see, and not surprisingly, the red states say, nope, you don't have that power. We're not giving you that power. And the reaction has been one of a, you know, a, a frenzied hatred that is just pouring out like vomit uh, out of the, uh, um, the mouths of people on the left um, denouncing um, Christians because they rightly perceive, by the way, not, not that everyone who is against abortion is a Christian, but it is all of this is derivative of a Judeo-Christian worldview mm -hmm. that is driving the pro-life movement because we believe that human life is sacred. We believe that we're an object of special creation. We're not an animal like any other animal. Right. Um, that your life is not comparable to, as Peter Singer would say, you know, a piglet. Um, we think there's a a a, a world of difference. Um, between them. And so you're seeing people on the left who are saying like, F your Bible and F your God and F your worldview and this kind of stuff. Um, I, uh, I published a piece last week, you know, with a number of screenshots, you know, of, of people, mm -hmm. you know, holding up posters in front of the Supreme Court and elsewhere saying these kinds of things. What venom, what hatred. And I think it's, it's because, you know, a decision like this, it strikes at the very gates of hell, doesn't it? It does. It really does. I'm reminded of a couple of things. One is that Chris and I were reading in Isaiah earlier in the week. I guess it was chapter 56 or 57 where it talked about um, the, the people that Isaiah was prophesying to uh, lusted about, and they were slaughtering their children out in the valley. And we read that and we thought that is exactly what we have done. We lusted for, you know, those who believed that abortion was their sacrament and their right, that they were lusting about and they were slaughtering their children in the valley, number one. So there's nothing new under the sun yeah. for those people who want to come at us with their vile language. Um, th this has been around since forever because the heart of man is desperately wicked. And I know we talk about that. It seems to be a show theme. Um, but also... The, the way that they have responded in an unhinged, burn the place down, yeah. take no prisoners. And, and we probably both know people who are posting some of this vile pap on their social media sites. And I want to ask them, what in the world are you doing? What are you thinking? And then it speaks to the idea that New York Times can't even get it right. They can't yeah. even bear to tell the truth that this indeed has just gone back to the States. Yeah. It's all built on a lie. So everything you say is a lie from here forward. Yeah. And so that also bothers me because I have people that are that they don't even realize, like, guys, get the facts straight first. Mm -hmm. um, but it's demonic. And when when you know Satan is involved. There and there is no truth. It is a whirlwind of destruction, and it's been stopped um, and and sent back for people to decide. Which has been great. It should have always been in the state's hands. But then we will still fight, uh, yeah. you know, tooth and nail against it because it's evil and it's wicked for anyone to say, I, I have the right to kill you if I want to kill you, and I have the right to kill you up until the day you were born. And in perhaps Peter Singer's case, what the first nine months. 
Uh, the, I started at 30 days, days, 28 days, yeah. and then I've heard of other people believing that it's up to nine months. Oh, no and kidding. The, well, the um, California bill, uh, which has been called the infanticide bill, um, is 28 days and uh, post-birth. And uh, But yes, I mean, once you... And, and Singer's argument, which is perfectly logical... It, from in that worldview, yes. Singer says, well, if we're killing them before they're born, then why not after they're born? Right. Perfectly logical. Our argument is, well, we shouldn't be killing them before they're born. It's certainly not after they're born. Um, but, you know, we have taken, I, I think it's interesting to see the reaction of some Christians, and I know we're going to talk about this later in the show, but where we've become so, at least in some cases, um, so desensitized to abortion who become so accepting of abortion is seeing the same thing with homosexuality and, and some of the warp stuff uh, that that we're seeing out in uh, out in the culture that there's a, an attempt to mainstream that they're operating on the view and they're right in this that if I can if I can put it in enough of your TV shows and in front of you it ceases to have shock value and you just get where you accept it. You just accept that it's not a big deal. So that if if our parents thought it was a big deal and you think it's kind of a big deal, your children won't think it's a big deal at all because we will have desensitized you to that. Well, abortion is like that. Uh, it's become one of those kinds of things that is not shocking enough um, to people. Uh, and you have to remind them of what it is that we're actually talking about. Um, and... As, you know, because they need to be upset over this. They need to not just be kind of, you know, well, it's just a political, you know, football. It's just, you know, uh, I have friends who, you know, who have this view and I have that view. It's really not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. You're killing, you're killing human beings who are made in the image of God. And if you think that doesn't matter to God, you know, I wrote a piece a couple of months ago on hell. And I did because of this very issue. Because I was seeing the kinds of things people are saying, the kind of things you're talking about, people posting on uh, on their social media and elsewhere, and um, and in the aftermath of seeing these babies, that you mm -hmm. know, there's a lot of news. I think her name's Lila Rose. Yes, you know who had posted these um, these pictures of these five babies that were um, killed post birth. Yes, and um, and the the thought that immediately struck me is. These people don't fear God. Hmm. You know, you need to fear God uh, because He is there, and one day you will face Him. And and those of you who are out there who are blaspheming His name, who are reveling in the killing of babies, uh, you can mock me. You can say that I don't know. Well, I'm here to tell you that that you are moving irresistibly towards an encounter with Him. And I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it, and this is uh, not an exact quotation, but he, he says that'll either be a moment of indescribable joy of one, or one of abject terror. Hmm. Uh, and that is determined by what you do now, whether you submit to him now and acknowledge him now, or you choose to continue to rebel against him. And, if, and there will be degrees of punishment. And if you're reveling in the destruction of human life, I promise you hell will be hot for you. And I don't say that with any joy. I say it as a warning. I say it as a warning because God takes these things very seriously and he is watching. And don't you wonder for the people who are rejoicing 
in the murder of the unborn. You know, I, I have a granddaughter on the way, and it would be perfectly legal for her to be aborted at this point, which is horrifying to me. But you wonder if the people who are rejoicing also are telling us that they have not only no fear of God, but ultimately then it also means they don't have any hope. Yeah. And they dig dig a deeper hole for themselves because in their not fear of God, realizing at some point at night on their bed, I also don't have any hope. So we're just going to dig a deeper hole and we're just going to go down this rabbit trail, which is leading straight to hell. It is hellish. I wonder about these women who will respond to me negatively, and I look at them, and I and I feel bad for them because I believe they're telling us, I don't have any hope. Yeah. I don't have any hope for being forgiven for what I've done, for the women who are shouting their abortions, who've had eight, nine, ten There's abortions. There's a website called Shout Your yes. Abortion. Yes, and, and, they, and they ultimately, though, their lives are empty. Well, I, I think, yes, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And coming back again to social media posts, some of these people are revealing who they really are, yes. that they're full of bitterness. You know, I, uh, hopelessness leads to bitterness mm. and it leads to hate and despair. And um, we're seeing that in the way some people are expressing themselves here. There's, there's such strong expressions of just venom and bitterness and you know even late night comedy it ceased to be funny it's not funny it's full of bitterness and anger and envy and rage towards the other side and so uh you know i'm reminded of something um the lord told samuel they haven't rejected you they've rejected me and uh, I think that that we're seeing people here dump out venom towards God's people, but ultimately they don't hate you so much as they hate your God. Mm. And this is a rebellion against God. Uh, and it's a terrifying thing to see. Well, it, it really is. And I know we'll um, come back to this um, because I think there's something else that's very important that we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. But it is a moment of great celebration. Yes. Um, but it also is a moment of um, a stark reality. Um, and celebration, by the way, is the right reaction. It is the right reaction. Do not feel guilty for celebrating that. And the idea that we shouldn't celebrate yeah. or that we should just now get busy, as I've seen some people post in the Christian community. I'm like, where have you been all these yeah. years? Because there have been people who've worked for years to get to this point, yeah. which I know we'll come back to. But I celebrate it. I thank God for that. But I also, like you, offer a caution to the people who rejoice in their wickedness, who slaughter their children under the trees in the valley. Be careful. Be wary. Mm -hmm. um, because the end is not going to justify the means that you have rationalized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and we also want to say, too, if I had uh, any other caution um, to Christians, it has nothing to do with celebrating it. Um, celebrate it and don't feel any guilt for that. It is that this can be reversed, mm. you know, meaning um, this isn't the end. Um, you know, there are threats to pack the court. Um, you know, Clarence Thomas is elderly. I mean... Uh, we're uh, 
you know, we're a, um, a judicial appointee or two away from seeing these things go back in the other direction. So this is a battle. It's, um, it's not the end of the war. Uh, I like the way Churchill put it. This isn't the, how did he put it, at the beginning of the end? It's um, the end of the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that. And uh, I think that's where we are. And you know what? I would be remiss not to say this. There are people who are listening. There are people who are watching who feel like they do not have any hope that they have come to the end and they yeah. realize this is very empty and what you have done has brought you great regret. We want to tell you that nothing surprises the Lord and immediate repentance of what you've done because we are all sinners in the hands of an angry God, but that's because he loves us and he cannot abide sin, uh, let alone the murder of the unborn. However, there is nothing that you have done, nothing that the Lord cannot forgive. And there are resources out there that if you will find online, I can promise you that there are women, there are men, there are counselors, there are resource centers all across the country for you to have help, to get in Bible studies, to get in support groups. They're available to you. You do not need to suffer alone. Um, Statistics say that about 43% of all women have experienced abortion or know someone who has. 43% of all women, uh, according to statistics, and that's the Guttmacher Institute, which is a research arm of Planned Parenthood. Um, But I want to tell you, we want to tell you that there is hope, and you are not alone, and there are resources available for you. So... In that, because I know you're out there and you're carrying the weight of that shame, you don't need to do that anymore. Um, But when we come back, we will take on another topic. Yeah. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Larry Alex Taunton Show, also known as the Show. Welcome back into the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I hope that you appreciated that discussion because I think it's one that we need to have. Um, but there's always hope, and we want you to know that. Well, and I, I really appreciated, Amy Beth, what you had to say there um, before we went to commercial break because, um, you know, we can get so focused on the negative here um, that we don't give that message of hope. And it's uh, it's 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 very important that people know um that there is the hope of the gospel. There is the hope of forgiveness of sins. There is the hope of eternal life. There is the hope of seeing our loved ones again. And listen, I know that I have I have um, subscribers, followers who are not Christians. Many of them have been attracted uh, to our work because of our many debates with atheists. And um, look, if you don't believe there is a God, you ultimately believe you're an accident, a cosmic accident in space and time, and this life is all you get, and that that there's no hope of any kind, none. And we don't believe that. So I, I appreciated you pointing that out. Well, I, you know, it's just one of those things where you think, I, I, I need to say this. The Lord reminded me of saying it, and I hope that people will enjoy the resources that we make available for them. Yeah. Um, because there really are a multitude of options out there, and there is a lot of hope. But now let's go to something. Um, you know, a, a little bit more fun, or or maybe not, because I'm not sure that I know what the issue is, but that is the Amy Beth Shaver ABS Automatic Braking System. ABS Automatic Braking System, also known as Amy Beth Shaver Pumps the Brakes. <laughs> so um, what are you pumping the brakes on this week? And when we're talking about 
the Amy Beth Shaver, you know, moment of um, the automatic braking system, we're really talking about things that piss Amy Beth Shaver off. So, uh, uh, forgive me, but that's what this—that's what this segment of the show is. So, what is it out there that has, you know, th- th- the word of the day? It seems like now is triggered. You see this word all the yes, time. Yes, it is. So what's it's, triggering you this what's week? What's triggering me, and <laughs> it has been helped along by a wonderful discussion we had with your lovely wife, uh, pre-show, and that is... Who is, I think, making bacon. I think she is making bacon. I'm but actually, bacon. we all talked about it, and you brought it up, and I think it's amazing. But what has me triggered is this idea that as a mom, as a stay-at-home mom, we're just a mom. Poor us. Yeah. We wasted our degree and we're doing nothing with our lives. And why would you do that with your children? And that, sir, has me very triggered. Uh, and as well it should be. Um, is there any is there any more discriminated against demographic than um than mothers, than the stay-at-home mom, the uh, the dedicated wife and mom who has committed herself um, to her family, um, to staying at home and raising her children. Um, I have noticed in pop culture, um, if you're if you're if you pay attention, you will see that in all kinds of movies and books and television shows, there's all these backhanded comments about. You know, you just want me to be, you know, uh, barefoot and pregnant or, you know, or it, it, all these characterizations of mothers um, as uh, the way you put it, poor, pitiful, uneducated, uh, put upon, must really hate their lives. Um, how do you react to all that? Well, I think there's a couple things. Number one, it it is infuriating, but I had a good friend once say um, never apologize and say you're just a mom. That phrase needs to go yeah. somewhere and die. Um, but second, it's a choice that many of us made. I remember on my first date with Chris, I told him from the jump, I want to be a mom. Um, I'm adopted, but I appreciate so much that though my mom would do part-time things here and there, we were her priority. What was his What was his reaction to that? His reaction was great. My mom stayed at home with me too. And they were very similar because he said, and we talked about this upstairs, that he feels like it's the most important job, yeah. that it is a privilege. And we made the choice when we didn't have two pennies to rub together, but it's what we did and we wanted to do. I wanted to be with the kids. Um, I had family that revered motherhood. You know, Phyllis Schlafly, among others, but I know that she said it, said you can have it all, just not at once. Yeah. And so if we don't get the home right, what else are we going to get right? Because we have the opportunity to pour into our children to be the front line of defense for them. And so on that first date, when I told him, part of the reason I told him that was because if you do not want to be with a girl who is telling you, I consider my profession, my career, a mom. Yes, I have other interests. Yes, I know the Lord has put me here see, to do other things. You don't even things. have to say that. See, see, that's the thing. Yeah, you're that, right. I'm apologizing. Yeah, see, that's the thing is that um, 
mothers who stay at home are made to feel like they need to assert, yeah, you're right. I have a degree. Um, I do have other interests. They're made to to kind of... So there's still kind of a little bit... Society has still kind of shamed you enough that you feel like you yes. still kind of have to say, but but hey, that's not all that I am. I'm, I'm all these other things too. The, the idea that somehow um, that in and of itself is not enough. No, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. And I agree with Chris that it is the most important job. And I'm not just, I'm not just saying that, you know, to try to throw a bone mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. direction. I, I believe it. Uh, Lori and I, um, I like the way you put it, um, not, not two pennies to, or nickels or whatever to rub together. Um, when it made sense to everyone but us that that she ought to be working, you know, full time. When our kids were, when I was in graduate school and we started having, you know, started having children, uh, I was teaching at the the university uh, as a GTA and then waiting tables on the weekends and this sort of thing. Lori and I, um, we, she was working something called the Baylor plan. She's a nurse and she could work two 12 hour shifts and that counted as like 40 hours. So she, she could get our, uh, you know, insurance for us that way. But she, she worked the weekends and then was home, mm-hmm. you know, all week. And then I was home on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And um, we went to great lengths to see that our children never spent a day in daycare. Mm-hmm. We would raise them ourselves. They would have our values, not some significant other values. And um, that was incredibly important to us to raise our children ourselves. And um, I... I feel like, you know, Loring doing that was more important than anything that I did. Yes, I had jobs and I, 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 I worked, I had a career, but that was so that I could support what she was doing at home. You know, when you get right down to it, I was, I was trying to support my family and what I was doing in my work. You know, I like to think that when I was sharing the gospel with people or engaging with them in some meaningful way, there was some eternal value in that. But the jobs themselves didn't have eternal value. You know what I mean? They just didn't. You know, uh, waiting tables and delivering a blooming onion to somebody just didn't have any real etern- eternal value in that. Um, so I, uh, I I think that that we have been attacking moms for so long that we're now as a culture reaping the whirlwind yes. for that. Well, we are. And, you know, I remember one of the kids coming home, speak, I will get to the whirlwind. One of the little girls, I mean, they were little, hopped in the car and they said, well, when are you going to get a job? And they were little. Yeah. And it really was like a knife. And, yeah. I, and I said, but you are my job. And I said, when you get into middle or high school and everybody is out of the house, then I will think about what the Lord has next for me. But you are my job. And she was like, okay, okay. And she didn't mean anything by it. Yeah, of course. But all the other she's, but she's well, already picking but up on that. She said, well, that but all the other moms, culture. like they're dressed up and they get paid and they and I'm like, but but you are the work. Yeah, and the idea is too that if you're if if you are the stay at home mom, then it must just be you're just the trophy wife. You're and, just there just I've to look good that. as a, as an ornament and you know that kind of stuff. And it's not about you; it's all about him. You know this kind of thing. Oh, sheer nonsense. Um, you know I am so grateful um, to the fact that my mother was at home. Yeah. Um, and uh, the idea that my mom didn't work or that stay at home moms, at least the good ones. 
um, or somehow they're not working. They work way harder than you moms who have careers. Uh, they do. They, this idea of stay at home was invented by somebody who didn't stay at home because you're never at home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, exactly. by the way. <laughs> I love the old movie, um, I, because A, because it's just hysterical, but do you remember the movie Mr. Mom? Oh, yes. With Michael Keaton? Oh, so good. And he cannot <laughs> wait to get back out of um, out of the house. And my favorite scene in that is where he's starting to watch soap operas, and um his son brings him and he's he's you know he's getting fat and he's not shaving anymore and he's his uh, son brings to him a grilled cheese that says it's not quite cooked and he he just takes the iron and he puts it down on it and he hits the steam button and I mean it's just terrific that movie is so family affirming and at the end of that film I mean amazing that Hollywood put out a movie like this Terry Gar tells, you know, Michael Keaton, you know, their husband and wife in the film, I want to come back home. I'm, I was good at what I did. And he's, I want to go back. Mm-hmm. I want to go back right. to work because I'm, I'm not really suited for this. I'm not really wired for this. It was such a, such a, a conservative film in, uh, in that regard. But moms, do not let people dump all over you for what you do. Um, because your audience, I, I, there's, there's a great line in another film. Um, Robert Bolt wrote the screenplay for a film. I think that one um, picture of the year in the 1960s is called a man for all seasons. And um, it has uh, it's it, it, terrific dialogue, but there's a scene in the film where Thomas Moore, the, the character playing Thomas Moore tells a young man who wants a position, a career, working for him. And he says, you don't, you don't want this job. This job is full of pressure. It's full of corruption. He says, you're a gifted teacher. Be a teacher. And the guy says, but who would know? And he says, your students would know. You would know. And God would know. Not a bad audience, that. And, you know, I would say to moms who are out there, um, you know, who's going to know? Well, your children will know. Your, your, your husband, you will know, and God will know. And that's not a bad audience, that. Mm. Um, so the job you're doing is so important. And what we're seeing in the culture, I think right now, with the, um, you know, the Molotov cocktail tossing mobs that are out there, I look at them and I go, these were children who were not raised by parents who love them enough to discipline them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up, you know, I was fortunate enough to grow up. I was a child of the eighties, but I wasn't a latchkey kid. Uh, my mom was at home and, um, and, and by the way, sometimes when you're that kid, you wish she weren't. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> How do you find out everything I've done? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, when you're that age, there's a part of you when mom says she's going to be away, you're kind of like, yes, <laughs> you know, cause you think I'll eat what I want. Yes. I'll do what I want to have my friends over. You know, I'll stay up, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, but no, I didn't have that. I, I had a mom who was at home and um, who saw that I ate right and uh, who saw that I didn't get into things that I shouldn't get into. And also, you know, that would say, you know, hey, if you want to invite your, your friends over, you know, to spend the night this weekend, you know, this is a good weekend to do that. And, you know, my mom was the cool mom. My yeah. mom was yeah. the cool mom that the other kids were like, you know, we like her to be the chaperone and such because she, you know, she understood kids well enough, uh, a boys, you know, to let us be boys and to let us play, not get too wild, but, 
um, but loved us enough to discipline us. And we have a society full of full of kids who did not have that. So I think I think this is a good ABS moment. I want to put a fine point on that because I know there are girls listening right now who are moms. Maybe you're a single mom and you're like piles, like it's just piling on you. And you're like, what am I doing? You are doing your best. And so we want to say, hey, as a mom, first of all, never apologize for being a mom. Ever. You ever feel like you've had ever. to do that? Yes, I do. I feel like for a very long time I had to apologize for being a mom. It's like somebody, some some oh, pretentious, oh, yeah. high-power type who comes up to you and acts like she's got it all together because she has a career and look at you. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no. People have suggested to me that because Chris is a physician that that's the only reason that I was a mom. Or they have looked at me and I'm schlepping through the grocery store, hanging, you know, kids hanging out of the cart, and I'm just doing my best to keep our head above water at that point. That um, you just look down on you, or we would go to medical events, and everybody there, and I mean everybody but me, and maybe one other girl, were not in the medical field, and they wouldn't talk to me. Really, they just don't but have just anything to say to me. And this was much earlier on in Chris's training, um, and 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 he would notice it too, particularly in one city, and. And you just have to remember, I am doing what God has called me to do, and I'm not going to be ashamed of it, but it is very hard not to because you're raised to go to college. I went to college. I've had people say, oh, you've wasted your degree. No, you haven't because God is ordering my steps, and He knows what I'm being called to do, and He knows this has been my heart since I was five years old to be a mom. But I've definitely felt disdain from people for being a mom, or they've even been brave enough to say, oh, that's because he's a doctor, right? I'm like, are you serious right now? <coughs> so it, it is something that women face. And even women who work outside the home, because you work inside the home, as my mom always said, you it's backbreaking work, but you do have jobs outside the home. But girls, we've got to stop putting each other down and shaming one another because it's not the men who are doing it. It is generally the women who put one another down. That's interesting. Down. I hadn't thought about that. In but my that, experience, in and, my anecdotally, experience. that that probably is true. I, you know, I, I, I have witnessed what you're talking about. Where you know, with Lori, for instance, um, where some of the you know settings that I've been in, some of them Christian, but mostly in very secular settings, where there was sort of an attitude back when you know we had small children and. She was at home, you know, full time, um, where those kinds of attitudes would be um, expressed, you know, in uh, in her direction, and she could feel that, mm-hmm. you know, condescension, yes. you know, coming her way. Yes. But, um, but man, I would just want to encourage mothers. Um, what you're doing is so important. And here's here's something I'll say from the perspective of 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 a man. The idea that somehow men have it better and have all these wonderful, fulfilling careers, uh, it just isn't true. Um, I barely meet um, men who are um, contented in anything, they're Christian or otherwise, come contented in their work. Um, it's often very you know, unfulfilling. It doesn't mean they don't drive some satisfaction mm-hmm. from it or you know, in doing a good job or hitting a you know, some kind of benchmark in sales or, or things of that nature. But, um, 
I've spoken in a lot of corporate boardrooms. And years ago, um, yeah, I've started doing this now regularly. But years ago, I was um, I was about to speak to a bunch of lawyers, and I'm in their big boardroom, and I'm walking around the room, and it's all of these portraits of former partners of the firm. You know, and they've paid a lot of money for these, and you know, as I'm walking around the room, and I'm just waiting for you know everyone to come in and have a seat, and I'm looking at these people, and when when these guys came in, <laughs> I said, "Who can tell me?" and I'm inventing the name, but who can tell me who Byron Smith is? <laughs> and all of these guys um, kind of look around and they say, well, he was a partner of the firm. Hmm. I said, okay, thank you. It says that, you know, partner of the firm from, um, you know, and uh, yes, what else can you tell me about him? Well, uh, his son is uh, also still here at the firm. Okay, well, thank you. Well, I think he was a litigator. All right, <laughs> thank you. What else? Can you tell me anything of his hopes and dreams? You guys can tell me nothing about him. I could probably go all the way around the room, and it says that he was a partner in the firm here from 1946 until 1996. You know, he practiced law at this firm. You know, nothing of his hopes and dreams. You know, very little about him. The guy poured out his life here. And the sum total of that is a portrait on the wall. Mm. Meaning, the most of the places that you're dumping your life out into, they don't remember you. When you retire, they don't want you hanging around the office. They're ready for you to be gone. They don't remember you. Uh, if you're dumping your life into your work like that, if you think it's going to have some kind of real eternal value and people appreciate it, the answer is no. You know, they're not. I even watch it sometimes with, you know, um, you know, famous personalities in, in news and uh, let's say, uh, you know, anchor men or women or, you know, some of these, uh, you know, sports hosts, you know, they give you the little pat on the back. Thank mm -hmm. you so much, Fern Lundquist. You were great for 40 years. See ya. Right. And that's it. And I think of moms, wow, your legacy, you're pouring your life into your children. You're pouring your life into your children. And if you think they don't appreciate that, I promise you, I promise you they do. Because I look back and I realize I was very fortunate in many ways to have an idyllic kind of childhood mm -hmm. because my mom was at home. And it was the era of, you know, you played in the neighborhood. And I, the, you know how my mom, you know, let me know it was dinner time. <laughs> she probably opened the door and yelled your name. Yes. <laughs> Which is what my mom did. Yeah, that's, that was the way it was done in yeah. those days. A friend of mine was telling me a couple of days ago, Chad Prather was telling me that his, that they had a, one of those triangles, you know, okay, she would bell. ring that. Nice. She would ring that. And my mom would open the door and say, dinner time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I might be at a neighbor's house, but I would hear her call and they go, okay, it's time to go. So, you know, dumping out your life into your children is such a great thing to put it into. And the idea that somehow you're missing out, the corporate world will love you and appreciate you. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Mm. Mm. That's good stuff right there. That'll preach. We probably spent more time there than I intended to, but it's so important. Well, it really is very important. So you know what? How about we'll uh, we have another segment for you, but stay tuned, and we'll get to that right after this break.
This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Welcome back to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. All right, Larry, there's a segment. (laughs) I love what you've titled it. Tell everybody what it is. It is Christian or Christian-ish. And the definition would be? Those things that um, that are authentically, you know, Christian have some, you know, basis in Scripture, and those things that masquerade as Christian, but but aren't. So you have some pretty amazing tweets for this segment. How would you set these tweets up from people that we know, we've heard of, but they're tweets that are in response to the row reversal? There are tweets that basically, to me, they're head scratchers. Yeah. But they sound so good. Yeah. So important. But what are they really saying? Well, we're going to get Matt to put these up on the screen so that you can see them. Mm. But um, these are things that I I regard as Mm Christian-ish. And uh, what we're talking about is we're, we're circling back around to Roe v. Wade and the reaction to Roe v. Wade. And we, we stressed in at the beginning of this show that celebrating it, that's the right reaction. Um, this is a, a wonderful win um, uh, for God's people. It's a wonderful win for the unborn. Doesn't, doesn't end abortion in this country. Doesn't even come close. Millions of children will still be aborted. But... We are we we might think of this as closing down a few concentration camps. We still have a ways ways to go, but it's a, it's a very important victory in that direction. And I think it's very notable. And it may feel like I'm beating this drum a lot, but there's a reason that I am beating it. I think it's interesting that Tim Keller has said, at least as of of the moment of this show, he said nothing, nothing. Now you would think that Tim Keller would come out and that he would be celebrating this. But, um, but no, he didn't do that. Um, yeah, John Piper uh, has said nothing. That's shocking to me. And, and Tim Keller is very woke, um, by the way. John Piper I do not put into that category. John Piper isn't woke. But John Piper fell into the never Trump you know, category. And we'll, we'll talk about how that relates in just a moment. Russell Moore, silence. Russell Moore is ready to pop off and share his opinion on just about everything. Mm. And the point isn't that everybody has to share their opinion on, on, on everything, but these are all these are all figures who have commented on just about everything that's going on in the culture. They're they're political figures as much as they are pastoral figures. And um to not comment on Roe v. Wade is uh, is quite shocking. So Keller nothing, Piper nothing, Russell Moore nothing. And then we have others mm-hmm. who fall into the woke category like Beth Moore. Right. Um, and um, uh, who else do I want to say here? David French, you know, who's a, uh, you know, he's a writer. He definitely, you know, falls into the, uh, to the woke camp like, um, like Beth Moore and the Gospel Coalition. All of them have addressed it, but they addressed it from a very pompous, finger-wagging, um, you know, a, a, a taking the position of holier-than-thou, how dare you celebrate this? 
kind of position so that so that you have figures like for instance David French what what an ass David French is he says i'm grateful Roe is reversed there are so very many members of the pro-life movement who are among the best folks on earth yet a darkness still grows on the right the dobbs decision lands in a sick culture and much of the right is helping make it sick what does he even mean by that garbage <laughs> you know here he is basically saying rather than admitting uh you know what i would think so much more of french if he came out and admitted i was wrong I was a never Trumper. Um, I he, I published a piece that is David French published a piece in which he said electing Donald Trump will do incalculable damage to the pro life cause. David French not only said things like that, but he also pushed what we now know, and most of us knew at the time, mm -hmm. was a false Russia collusion narrative. For two years, he pushed that. Just yesterday, he was still pushing this. Um, suddenly, I've forgotten her name. Uh, Cass Cassidy, Cassidy Cassidy Hutchinson. Cassidy Hutchinson. Her claim, you know, in the the January sixth committee, she claimed that she had been told by the Secret Service and by the the driver of the presidential limo that Trump had tried to grab the wheel on January 6th. It was kind because of a funny. that makes so much sense. <laughs> it makes so much sense that Trump had tried to grab the wheel on January 6th. And David French immediately seized upon this with yet another tweet to say, this woman is so credible and this is so important. While, while the conservative world is celebrating Roe v. Wade, he can't his obsession with Trump yeah. that he seizes upon this nefarious woman whose testimony has since been thoroughly discredited. By the time he's tweeting this, it had been thoroughly discredited. The Secret Service and the driver both said, not true, never told her that. Right. Never happened. But he's still promoting this. He's still pushing this. I would have thought so much more of David French if he came out as I did, by the way, and said, I was wrong about Donald Trump. I was wrong in saying he would do immeasurable damage to the pro-life cause. I was wrong in promoting a um, Russia narrative that was now thoroughly discredited. And I was wrong in just tweeting just yesterday uh, that Cassidy Hutchinson is such a credible witness when the very people she references tell her, say that she is lying, right? that they never told her this. And um, where did I say that I was wrong? Well, um, I wrote at least one article, maybe published a, um, another one or two prior to the, I think it was prior to, I know it was prior to the presidential election in 2016. It may have been prior to the Republican primaries. But I had said voting for Donald Trump is a, um, is a great compromise. I don't think that this is a good thing to do because this man is, is not going to be a, a conservative. If he becomes president, he will not govern as a conservative. He's not pro-life. Well, Larry Taunt, you were wrong. You were wrong. And that became pretty evident to me shortly after he became president of the United States. I began to see, guess what? 
whatever his personal feelings are, which are irrelevant, he had made a, a bargain, a business deal, if you want to put it that way, with evangelical conservatives that said, if you vote for me, I will be your man. I thought, he won't keep that. Well, guess what he did? Yep. And he says, and I will be pro-life. And he was. And more so than George W. Bush, by the way, more so than any president since Ronald Reagan. And he appointed the judges that made the difference in Roe v. Wade. How wonderful it would be, or maybe wonderful, that's to give him too much credit, how much more I would think of these people, of Beth Moore, of Tim Keller, of of John Piper, of the Gospel Coalition, of David French, if they had come out and said, we were wrong. Imagine that. We were wrong. And we told all of you not to vote for him. We told you that he wasn't a conservative. We told you that this would do incalculable harm um, to the, I'm glad to say I never said anything as foolish as that, incalculable harm to the, to the pro-life cause. We were wrong in saying that. And thank you, Donald Trump, for, for uh, nominating conservative justices that flipped this decision and that have made Donald Trump, amazingly, a guy who, again, whatever his personal opinions on abortion are, I don't know, but a guy who will go down, at least to date, as the most pro-life president in U.S. history. I mean, he can't be denied that label. That is true. He did that. And so I'm just blown away by the fact that you have individuals like Beth Moore, like Russell Moore, like John Piper, like Tim Keller, like David French, who either said nothing about how wonderful this is when they ought to be celebrating it, or they used it as an opportunity to express their bitterness about the fact that they were wrong. And Beth Moore, here's, you know, here's what she tweeted. She's, she said in response to, um, you know, a woman's tweet who said that our work is now just starting. We must help and support moms, dads, and babies, love them all. And in so doing, making abortion unimaginable. No one can dispute that. Uh, no Christian ought to dispute that. Beth Moore didn't say that. That was said by someone else. But Beth Moore replied to that by saying, why don't you read what she says? Yes, step up, church. Take responsibility for the fact that pro-life is either pro-all life, which is in step with the truth of the gospel, or some pro-life, which for many is in step with political expediency. Unborn, born, babies, girls, women need immense support, compassion, care. It's a weird tweet. It's very weird. (coughs) I think, uh, excuse me, I have this new cough button and I didn't use it then. I should have. I know that will be put up on the screen so that people can can read it for themselves. It's this kind of cryptic, strange tweet where I'm not even sure what she's talking about. Political expedience, unborn, born, babies, girls, women. But again, it's this expression of... It's finger-wagging. If you're going to be pro-life, she's saying, this is what I take it to mean, and you can tell me if you agree with this, If you're going to be pro-life, then you have to take responsibility 
for every child that is born, whether they're your children or not. Do you do you read it that way? I read it that way. It's um, it's unbelievable. Like it's illogical. Because what does that have to do with saving the life of an unborn child? Yes. It has nothing to do with that. Yes. So that is an illogical phrase, and it doesn't follow. Uh, number one. Number two, what she says is step up church, take responsibility. That is ignoring the work that the church has done. And atheist and agnostic, and there are plenty of groups. I, I, we spoke with T.J. Hurley um, many weeks back that there are other groups out there but they've been involved in the pro-life movement since, I said this earlier, I'll say it again, Jesse Jackson was a pro-life uh, person that they've worked for years. So this idea that you get to finger wag at us and tell us to step up is ignorant of the 2,700, at least this year, according to the Charlotte Lozier Institute, this year alone of the crisis pregnancy centers that are out there or the um, hundreds of pro-life maternity homes and other resources available to women. About that they're not saying anything. They're acting like, okay, now, and I heard this from other just local pastors that were saying, get ready, church. And I'm like, where have you been? What in the that yeah. is such an unbelievably <laughs> pompous, arrogant statement to say that you don't know enough about what's going on and about the resources that are already out there for these women. Um, and then for you to come along and f- wag your finger. Like, I have zero use for you. Yes, and we know that evangelicals adopt by far um, more children yes. than any other demographic. So, you know, the church has actually been there for a very long time, even if individual churches were ignoring it. That's right. And what what was going on there. There are so many pregnancy crisis centers that are Christian-run. Um, again, quote-unquote parachurch ministries, they're they're operating without the support of their 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 own individual churches. In some cases, they're being supported by individual Christians who are enabling them to do what they do. Uh, you were adopted. My wife and I adopted. Um, I, this was all motivated by the Christian faith. Um, to say nothing of of all of those um, ministries, mission trips um, to help children. Uh, in orphanage circumstances, in poverty, and elsewhere. The churches, individual Christians have been all over this for a very long time. So, uh, you know, a, a pompous tweets like this, like, hey, step up church, as though the church wasn't already doing that. No, Beth Moore, they've been doing this for a very long time. And what I especially don't like about her tweet about take responsibility for the fact that pro-life is either pro-all life, that is meaning for the whole of their lives, are pro some life because she's playing into the left's narrative. Yes. The left's narrative, which argues effectively this they keep saying, if you're going to be pro life, you have to be supportive. You have to be willing to support that child from the moment it's born um, all the way through. Well, I do that for my own children. Um, we've, we've done that for a child that we've adopted, and we do it for other children to the extent that we can um, through through our giving and through ministry endeavors. That said, having done that, I don't accept responsibility for every child that's born. That is the responsibility of parents. That is the responsibility of families. Um, that is the responsibility of uh, uh, perhaps Christians in those communities. But, but you see, the left likes to argue that because they're effectively saying, that any child, you know, you were talking about you were, you were the, 
your your mother, um, your biological mother, was a teen uh, when she became pregnant with you. Now, undoubtedly, she heard people say to her that if the quality of your child, if you, the quality of your child's, your unborn child's life is going to be that good, it's more compassionate yes. to have an abortion. Killing the child yes. is more compassionate. It is this argument that I've heard um, you know, made even among Christians that a child isn't really a child until it's loved. You know, this kind of nonsense. And that the quality of life determines whether or not the child should have been born or not. Um, that's that's what her tweet is effectively saying. That if you're going to be pro-life, then that means you have to so you 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 have to um, adopt this view of of supporting the child from cradle um, to grave. Otherwise. Um, abortion only makes sense is what is implicit to a tweet like this. And part of what I find problematic about these kinds of tweets, we haven't even gotten to the Gospel Coalition, but I want to give you a moment to respond to that. So here's the deal. There's something else that, and I could be very wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, love your thoughts about this. Inherent in that tweet, though, is this expectation that someone else needs to take responsibility for that child. But there's something beautiful that pro-life centers do, crisis pregnancy centers do, and that is they point these women and their families to the gospel so that the grace of God is not eliminated in their lives by taking over their lives and taking over responsibility for what should be their responsibility. At least they have been pointed in that direction, these 2,700 centers and these hundreds of thousands of volunteers that are appointing these women in parenting classes um, and helping them earn money and helping them get a job. There's a wonderful mobile um, ultrasound unit that really starts with the women where they are. Do you need a job? Do you need an education? What do you need? We'll help you, but we're not going to do it for you. Yeah. Well, and, and not only that, but I mean, the ridiculous nature of tweets like this is how many people do you know who have adopted overseas because it is almost impossible to get a child domestically? 100%. We've got like to do something better. Like eight-year waiting lists and this kind of and thing. And you've got to meet a certain age. I mean, it, it is unbelievable how yeah. hard it is to adopt in the our, U.S. Our oldest son, um, Michael, he and his wife, Camille, um, they adopted a beautiful little girl domestically last year. But their situation was so unique, um, was so remarkable uh, little Elizabeth, um, who just, you know, she just feels like she's our blood. Um, it was quite amazing, quite providential how that little little girl became a part of our family. But those situations are unique. There's so many parents who are childless, who are desperate to have children. And then there are other people who are just willing to adopt a child, right. to give a child a home. I mean, it's almost impossible. So, you know, this idea that somehow there are all these unwanted children out there just simply doesn't doesn't meet it's with the facts. True. It is doesn't meet with the with with the facts. And the idea that somehow the church hasn't been listen, there's there are a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of sin that can be laid at the feet of the modern American church. This is not one of them. No. Um, the the uh, Christians who are adopting, who are providing foster homes, um, who are very active in ministry work for children, in mission works for children, 
it's amazing to see what they're doing in that regard. So a tweet like this is to me is, is completely inappropriate. It's tone deaf. It's not understanding you know, what's happening out there. And again, it's a failure to celebrate the moment. I'm so bitter that, that the guy that I campaigned hard for everyone not to vote for actually, actually brought this about that I can't I can't celebrate this as a Christian with other people. I mean, how bitter right. do you have to be? Very bitter. You have to be very bitter and maybe a little embarrassed because you realize that all the time you told people politics doesn't matter, you don't need to be involved, and suddenly it does because who you vote for for president Matters. has everything to do yes. with who ends up on the Supreme Court, right? So you've got all that going on in the background and the pipeline of their mind. That tweet is very tone deaf. It's very arrogant. And who in the world are these people to decide that they are the big brother and big sister of all of us to go, now they're there. Yes, yeah. Like, come on, guys. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, I'm totally with you. I was going to find... Um, Something here, you know, uh, related to this, which is quite funny. But here's a tweet from the Gospel Coalition. Oh, this is my favorite. Yeah, here's a tweet from the Gospel Coalition. It says, now isn't the time. Now, they, they tweeted this right after the Roe versus Wade decision. With a baby, a pregnant woman in the picture. <laughs> in, in the picture. <laughs> we'll put this on the screen for you. Now isn't the time for the church to beat its chest in celebration of a victory in the culture war. This is a moment for us to step up in love. Ladies and gentlemen, this is wrong. This is a time for you to beat your chest, to fall to your knees and give thanks to God for this victory. You are allowed to celebrate this. It is okay to celebrate this. It would be wrong not to celebrate this. Enjoy this this victory in, yes, what is a cultural war. Uh, Enjoy it because there are many battles yet to be fought uh, allow yourself to be encouraged by this, um, by the hard work that was done to achieve it. Um, and uh, those people who didn't play a role in this, they ought to be celebrating it as well. But for the fact that they would choose to wag their finger at the celebrating people and say, how dare you? And, and I, I tweeted something in response to this because as soon as I read this, I was mindful of you know David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. And the passage reads something like this. I was going to read it to you, but um, I, I won't waste time looking for that. But the, the passage says something like this. Basically, you know, David goes out and he faces Goliath and he cut his head off and a, a shout went up. A shout went up, you know, from the army of Israel. Uh, a shout of joy at their victory. And it says in that they, they pursued their enemy. Um, on the battlefield. And I, I thought, you know, it would be like saying David, you know, that the scripture says a shout went up from Israel. And then David said, now, now fellas, <laughs> it's not a time to beat your chest. Right. It's not a time to be triumphal. It's not a time to be celebrating victory. It's time for love. Mm-hmm. No, it is uh it is a time to celebrate, not our own greatness, not Donald Trump's greatness, not, not the greatness of um, of Clarence Thomas, but the greatness of our God, Amen. Who brought this about, and how did He bring it about? Did He use an unbeliever to achieve this? I don't know whether Donald Trump is a believer or or not, but the but the argument 
that some of these never Trump people, you know, made all along was he couldn't vote for Trump because Trump was just too crass. He was just too, he was just too much of a, uh, uh, too boorish, you know, or something uh, um, along those lines. Did these people read their Bibles? I, I, I was thinking the exact same thing because if you look in the Old Testament, <laughs> after great victories, they would celebrate. They would take a moment. There the are feasting days that were prescribed in the Old Testament. And God used unbelievers. I mean, he used unbelievers. So, like, are, are y'all, like, reading it? <laughs> Is it not real? Like, I, I don't Forgive understand... Me, Hey, it's like you say in the intro, you're a man like any other. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I now have this cough button, but I'm sure your mic still picks it up. You know, hey, you hacking, know what? We you, hacking over here. You have you to had the pneumonia. Like <laughs> who's, willing, who's willing to sit here next to me, uh, even as I am uh, um, fighting off um, pneumonia. But yes, I mean, in the Old Testament, the Lord used uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. The Lord used um, Xerxes. Yes. Uh, the Lord used Cyrus. Cyrus. Um, you know, the the Lord uses you know I, I think it's Psalm thirty three that says the Lord fashions the hearts of men yes. to His purposes, and somehow this idea that that in in electing a president that we're to apply the same rules of as appointing pastors and elders is just absurd. That's right. It's just absurd, and not only that, but the people who would make that argument, I promise you, they aren't doing that when they're choosing a mechanic. When they're choosing some a surgeon, <laughs> no. when they're choosing, do people come in and they ask your husband? You know, they want to know what his worldview is before they allow him to, um, you know, to diagnose their ailment, or do they just hope he's a an excellent right. physician? Like excellent physician. Yes, that's period. What that's all we're looking for, right? <laughs> but somehow, somehow, they began when it came to Donald Trump, they decided to apply all yes. of this, and I want to emphasize right here. Because I, I I kind of fall into a category th- that sometimes makes me feel a little homeless. And here's what I mean by that. I'm a big supporter of the Second Amendment. I own guns, lots of guns. Um, I hunt. But I'm not a gun nut. Yeah. You know, I, I received, um, you know, a, a lot of coffee mugs recently that, that say on them something like 2A... Uh, has a picture of an AK-47 and says, come and get it, you know, or something like right, that. Right, right. I'm not the sort to drink out of something like that unless I'm just having a little bit of fun. I'm probably not going to wear that hat. I'm probably not going to wear that T-shirt. Um, I'm not a MAGA hat-wearing sort. Um, and I wouldn't call myself a Trumper, per se, um, but I voted for Donald Trump, and I'm grateful for the things that he right. did. Do I worship at his altar? No. Uh, and and by the way, what is often called you know the MAGA platform? I'm sorry. This is this is where where Trump's ego does get the better of him. He wants to take credit for uh, uh, an, an intellectual heritage that long predates him. It, it predates Ronald Reagan. It predates uh, uh, you know um, uh, many uh, uh, a conservative. You know this. This finds itself in the thought of you know of of uh, Irishmen like right. Edmund Burke you know so this is this kind of conservatism you know isn't isn't new um, at all um, so it isn't it isn't that I'm a a Trumper um, right. as such but I'm grateful to Donald Trump for right. standing against the onslaught of evil 
and in uh, main in in being true to his word and appointing conservative justices that were pro-life and um, appointing, and listen, I had a federal judge tell me this, um, off record, um, tell me that Trump was not just not just at the, the level of Supreme Court, that, that he was transforming the federal judiciary um, with his appointees. And that is to say, he was transforming it positively with people who respected the Constitution and respected the rule of law. If you are so pompous, like a French, and like a Russell Moore, and like a Tim Keller, and like a um, uh, uh, a Beth Moore, if you are so pompous that your your morality is such that you can't celebrate <laughs> the saving of millions, this will save millions of unborn yes. lives. You can't celebrate that. You can't admit you're wrong. But instead, maintain that somehow this 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 warped notion of morality mm-hmm. that because you wouldn't tolerate mean tweets that makes you a, a really superior moral being. I will tell you, you are broken morally. Mm. You 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 have perverted what morality actually is. And listen, I say that as a person. They may all be much more moral than I am. I may be better people than I am. It's not what I'm asserting. I'm asserting that your worldview is warped and broken if you aren't unable to see That's right. the forest for the trees in, uh, in, in that regard. So uh, the, the victory, the credit, goes to our Lord and Savior um, for doing this. That doesn't mean, however, that I can't be grateful to a Donald Trump or that I can't be grateful to a Clarence Thomas or I can't be grateful to, uh, um, suddenly her name's gone out of my head, Barrett. Yeah, um, Amy Coney Barrett. Yes, Amy Coney mm-hmm. Barrett, the uh, Supreme Court Justice. Mm. I am grateful to those people for their courage, uh, for standing their ground when every kind of a pressure has been applied to them, threats of violence, um, attempted violence in the case of Brett Kavanaugh, and they didn't back down. That's celebratory. And if you're taking the opportunity to be tweeting about Trump supposedly grabbing the steering wheel, when all the evidence says he didn't, when you ought to be celebrating the saving of millions of lives, you are broken, broken morally. You know what? And with that, uh, <laughs> what else can you say? Right? I mean, you can't. So just ponder that. Uh, we'll be back to wrap it up. Stay tuned. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. The opinions expressed here do not reflect those of Democrats, atheists, Muslim radicals, environmentalists, globalists, socialists, the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, soccer fans, or men who eat quiche. But they should. Welcome back to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. As we wrap up today, we're going to talk about movies. And we just saw a good one. Yeah, tell me about it. Are you, are you guys movie people? We are. We watch a lot of movies. Now, I know you guys went to see Maverick. We did. Loved it. And which, by the way, since the last podcast, mm-hmm. yes, we did. On Father's Day, uh, my boys took me. And uh, Lori, you know, um, wanted to go too. 
and um, we both loved it. We thought it was great, so we agreed. Thank you for the recommendation. That was a great recommendation. I'm very happy that it worked out. You know, because you're a little nervous when you tell somebody, "Hey, I think you're going to like this movie," no, and then you great. come back and you're like, "Oh, it's terrible." No, and it was just what you said. It was, it was pro-American. It wasn't offensive. It was. It was the, I, you know, I think Lori put it well. It was, it had its tense moments, but not too, t- excuse me, too tense. Mm-hmm. And um, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the scenery, I wish we'd seen it on a, on a better screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've heard that it's at an IMAX and I didn't know that. Oh. So I didn't see it in an IMAX theater, but I've heard that to see it at an IMAX is pretty amazing. But anyway, but we loved it. It was a great movie. You you should go see it. People should go see it. You already have, but uh, those listening to us should should see it. So what what have you seen now? So two movies. One we saw last night, and so if you have the grandkids this weekend or kids, sing two. Uh, the 15-year-old, Molly, recommended that Chris and I watch it because she knows that. I just think Sing One. Who's in, okay. Who, who, who was the premise? When you have Caroline or – you have a one-year-old, though. She may not even get it yet. Um, but the premise is that there it, it's it's acceptance, but not in the like sappy, pathetic acceptance way. It's a guy trying to make his way as a director, and he realizes he has everything he needs, and so do the little kids. Or, Are these Whoopi Goldberg movies? They're not Whoopi Goldberg movies. They're like little animated movies, and it sounds ridiculous, but it's so based off of a show. It's a cartoon. The oh. the color and the animation is unbelievable. No weird stuff in the movie. Um, but great themes within of um, being who you are and in a Christian worldview, being who God made you to be. Oh. It was a very uplifting movie. However, the other movie that we saw is Father Stew. And that's uh, Mark Wahlberg. That's Mark Wahlberg. I've not seen it. I appreciate Mark Wahlberg. I think he's a very good actor. He's one of Chris and I's favorite. This is a true story. I love movies based on reality. And the sh- the screenshot of the movie makes it look like it's going to be this happy light. It is not. Language warning. The language is okay, atrocious. Okay, so I thought this was like a daddy's home type This is thing. not a daddy's home, which is hilarious. This is a very gripping tale of a man's ultimate redemption, but it's through great pain and great suffering. So drama, not comedy. So it's very much dramatic. Um, not for the kids. Not for the kids. Again, Chris's take is: look, that language is real. Yeah. Um, because this guy was a real guy looking to become a priest through some hilarious means. However, the rest of the story about family, father-son relationship, mother-son relationship, what happens, mm-hmm. what happens as a result of his search on his quest mm. after an accident, a terrible accident is very interesting, but the redemptive elements for me but Chris liked it. were touching. He really liked it. Um, he enjoyed it, and he said, yes, there's language, but he felt like it reflected who this person was. So it's not a don't let the screenshot fool you, because I had a, one of my children say, eh, it doesn't really look like it's for me. I said, the redemptive elements in the story hmm. uh, through suffering, because we know on the anvil is where God has our attention, was very... Um, gripping, and I'm still thinking over some elements in the movie, but I really liked it. Hmm. But well, again, language warning. It is that one that you can you can stream. You can or do you stream have it. To go to you the can theater? stream it. Um, we appreciate movies you can watch on the couch. Um, 
you know, Maverick, you got to go, I think, see in the, in the theater. But this one was one, I think, out of the theater. I don't even know. We had wanted to watch it for a while, but we streamed it. And I just it was saw, easy. I just saw that Maverick, you know, as they say, you know, flew past a billion dollars. Really? In, yeah. It's now become the, the uh, highest grossing film of 2022. And um, I'm glad of that because I want good films. Um, I, I want Hollywood to know these are the films we want. We, we're not interested in your, in your, um, you know, your political agenda, your social agenda. Um, and uh, Father Stu, yes. I've seen promoted as, I, I, I'm reluctant to say promoted as a Christian film, but promoted by Christians. Yes, there, there are, there's very much, God is a part of the movie. It is a very real testimony. In a, in a, in a real way. And he really met the Lord along the way. Hmm. Uh, so I think that's what's resonating with people because I think so often in, quote, Christian films, it's, plastic. Yeah. It's not well done. Um, I appreciate that people are trying to make that, but this is Mark Wahlberg done. The female lead is amazing. A Who beautiful is girl. I don't even know her name, okay, but so I was just a, transfixed by her the whole time. Fixture in Hollywood. But your heart breaks for them. Like it's it's got great storytelling elements in it. Good. Um, but it took me a place I didn't expect to go. Good. Well, we'll have to make sure that um, I, I will make sure, I'll try to make sure between now and the next episode that I watch that too, because I'm always looking, I'm always looking for something good to watch. And, uh, you know, I'm going to make mention of a film that, and this will really show, you know, what a, you know, how I, I guess maybe I'm a dinosaur in this regard, because I like a lot of old classic films, but I've been, find myself thinking on an old film, 1961, I think it is, that I want to rewatch. Um, I've seen it many times, but it's absolutely superb. Um, all-star cast. It's a film called Judgment at Nuremberg. And um, it uh, it stars, you know, the chief stars are Marlena Dietrich, mm. Spencer Tracy, who plays a um, one of the Nuremberg trial justices. She plays the wife of a Nazi um, who was on who was on trial. Um, Maximilian Schell is in the film, Richard Woodmark, William Shatner. Um, gosh, the list just goes on and on. Montgomery Clift, just on and on of all the stars that are in it. But the reason why I mentioned that film and why I would highly recommend people to watch it is because the film is getting at absolute truth. Is there absolute truth? Mm -hmm. And so the film is taking place, uh, it's supposed to be like, I think, 1948 and the trials of the major war criminals are all over and so now they're down to to more pedestrian mm -hmm. you know nazis civil servants judges this kind of thing um that they're trying and the question is are there their um crimes are they violations of, of some kind of absolute universal truth or are they justifiable as morally expedient because they justified a means to an end? And that really is what's going on in the film. You know, can you, you know, what right have you to judge the, to judge them as uh, you know, for what they did um, for violating law um, for um, censoring people for, um, sterilizing people, all these kinds of things. 
because the times demanded it. Mm. And against the backdrop of the film um, is the Berlin airlift where, um, you know, the Russians closed off um, Berlin and um, the United States wants the support of the German people. So their behind the scenes pressure is being placed on the American judges. They're being told, look, let's not be too harsh in judging these Nazis because we need the support of the German people. And if you judge their, you judge these people too harshly, it's going to, you know, be a real blowback against the United States. We want to, and, 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 and so the judges realize we're being faced with basically the same thing. We're being told to put aside morality for the sake of what is morally expedient. Or is there an absolute truth? It, it's, it's quite profound. And why I think that film, I'd highly recommend anybody to watch it now because we are seeing right now in the American political context, there are a lot of people on the left now, maybe some on the right, but they're definitely on the left who are in big tech, who are in, who are in um, Hollywood, uh, who are in uh, positions of political power, who are violating what they have to know um, is, is right and wrong. They, they, they're, they're violating law, for instance, censorship on social media and things of this nature, um, and, um, you know, trumping up charges that are clearly bogus mm -hmm. in January 6th and all this kind of stuff. But I'm sure that they comfort themselves by saying, but it's morally expedient. This is, this is justifiable so that we can achieve a better end, mm. you know, for humanity. Mm. I have the right to do this to you, even though you're not guilty. And, but, but I need to do it in order to achieve, to achieve an end. Uh, that's a, to me is a very relevant message. So I'd, a judgment at Nuremberg is the name of the film. You probably find it on a streaming service, watch it and pay close attention. You know what? We'll give that a watch. Yes. Uh, we, we are huge fans of classic movies because I think, um, they were a great breed of movies because they told about the truth and I can't wait to watch that. So thank you for that recommendation. Well, it's been great. Thanks for watching, everybody. You have been watching or listening to The Larry Alex Totten Show. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Turn out the lights. The party's over. Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now?